Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. We've got our Throne of Eldraine crash course queued up for you today. Ethan, are you ready to talk? Some Throne of Eldraine stats. Ben, we made it through. It was quite the drought of new and fresh limited topics to discuss after M20 and Modern Horizons. Dust had settled, and I am very, very excited to dive into this set with you. I am so hyped. I've just spent all day like looking at the spoilers, listen to you and Travis do your set review a little bit, and I am ready to break this format wide open. Sweet. Well, we've got quite a bit to discuss, so we're going to get into it as soon as we can. For folks who don't know, we do... Preview season a little differently here on Lords of Limited. We are going to be doing our crash course. So rather than going through a card by card review evaluation, we're going to really look at the set as a big picture. We're going to look at how the mechanics fit in, some sort of like overall limited things that we like to keep track of, like sweepers or flying or lifelink, how prevalent that is. Then we're going to go into some cards that Ben and I disagree on because we have graded every single card individually ourselves. And then we're going to get to my favorite thing, which is us ranking our top commons and uncommons in each color. But before we get into any of that, we got to talk about the Patreon, Ben, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where folks can give back to the show if they so choose. And Patreon season is ramping up again, Ben, because everybody knows the best place to break the format is the Lords of Limited Discord. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk in the Discord and just on Twitter. There's been a few things on Reddit a little bit about the Discord being one of the best places on the internet for limited content. And I feel pretty strongly that that's the truth. I've been on the Discord all day today, and it has been nonstop in the Throne of Eldrin a card evaluation channel, and I have gotten some great information, some stuff I missed on cards. I was able to ask some questions. I, I just know that our Discord is an awesome community of people that are really good Magic players. Yeah, it's awesome. So we've got some folks that we're going to welcome to the fray this week who have joined the Patreon and thusly joined the Discord. And Ben's going to help me out here in welcoming Robert, Carl, Taku, Ilya, Daniel A, Nate, Daniel B, Samuel, Andrew, WN Hale, James, Kevin, Chris, DeWald, Odorous, Alex, Matt, Kalisk, Zachary, Juan, Amateus, Tom, Another Daniel A, Dave, Jason, No, Kyle, Ganawo, Darth, and finally, Words and Stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Cannot say thank you enough. You all are awesome. Looking forward to breaking Throne of Eldraine wide open with you. And as I said last week, I think getting an inside look on what's going on in Discord is going to make you a better Magic player. You're going to get the information for free regardless on the podcast, but learning how we come to those conclusions is big game. For sure. We are also now partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design, Magic's newest apparel company. As part of this, we have a gift code for you to get 10% off your order, which pertains to any apparel on their website, not just ours. And that code is LOL, all caps. We're going to be going through some card gradation differences today. And as per usual, I assume I'm likely to come out on top. So you're going to want to pick up that hashtag I'm with Ben shirt after checking out this episode today. And if you're playing along at home for the Lords of Limited Crash Course drinking game, you can take a sip every time Ben says, let me ask you this. <laughs> the catchphrase though that's right okay folks we also had ben stark on the show a few weeks ago and as some of you may know he has a course on spikesacademy.com and we do have a code for listeners of the lords unlimited podcast to get a discount on his awesome course on spikes academy and that code is lords of limited all caps all one word so go ahead on over to spikesacademy.com enter that code for ben's course and enjoy yep no kickback to us or anything like that this is strictly for your benefit we talked to the people from spikes academy and we said we wanted to get you the max discount 
discount possible. So if that's something you've been interested in, head on over there, use that code. All right. So we're going to be using the limited resources grading scale here, the A through F scale with a couple modifications. So to start that off, we're looking at A's as bombs, game winners. These are good in many situations, especially when behind. They're the best cards in the set. Bomb rares, hyper-efficient spells. We've got Chandra Awakened Inferno, Cavalier of Gales, and Gargos Vicious Watcher from M20. B's, strong cards that pull you into color, make you want to play that color, reasons to be in a particular color or combination of the colors, some of the best commons and good uncommons from the set. Some examples from M20, Spectral Sailor, Murder, Chandra Novice Pyromancer, Risen Reef, and Cloudkin Seer. C's are solid playables. These are the meat and potatoes of a limited deck, very interchangeable, average creatures, normal removal spells. So Lavakin Brawler, Audacious Thief, Griffin Protector, or Winged Words. These are your sometimes playable below average 22nd, 23rd type cards, such as Daybreak Chaplain, Octoprophet, Feral Abomination, or Dagger Sail Aeronaut. Fs are unplayables, cards you should never put in your deck or weird rares. So examples from M20 are white cards, Kappa, hardcover, Leyline of Sanctity, Scheming Symmetry. Lastly, we've got sideboard cards, cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in can be quite good, such as Disenchant, Negate, or Reckless Airstrike. Then we've got some modification grades for cards, like like the sideboard grades. We've got build-around cards. So these are cards that don't do much on their own, but when you build around them can be good to great. So think about Renowned Weaponsmith, Blood-Soaked Altar, or Season of Growth. And lastly, this is our own sort of creation here. Synergy cards, cards that are not good enough to build around, but provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. Think cards like Pattern Matcher, Chandra Spitfire, Angel of Vitality, or Bone Splinters. So we're going to briefly go over the new mechanics for Throne of Eldraine. We talked about this last week in our uh, predictions episode. And so if you haven't dived into these mechanics here, we're just going to gloss over them real quick. The first and I think most exciting one for me is the adventure mechanic. So this is an instant or sorcery that occupies the lower left corner of some creatures. So you choose when casting, whether you're casting the adventure or the creature. And if you choose the adventure and it resolves, you exile the card, and then you can cast the creature from exile on that turn or on future turns. There's also an ability word called adamant that grants bonuses to cards if you cast them with three of a particular color of mana when you cast them. So like a red adamant card would want you to cast it with three red mana. And then lastly, we have food tokens, which are colorless artifact tokens with two tap, sacrifice it to gain three life. And that brings us into our statistics portion of the episode, baby. (laughs) All right. So The first thing we're going to look at here, as we always do, is common creatures. And I should say that for everything that we're looking at here today, save for a few exceptions, we're really just looking at commons and uncommons because that's the thing that's going to make up most of your limited decks. That's the thing that's going to influence what you see on the other side of the battlefield, what you're going to see draft in and draft out. So that's what we're focusing on here. We're really ignoring most rares. I was actually surprised, Ben, that you graded the rares in our spreadsheet. Yeah, I've done that the last few times. There were several rares that were very difficult to grade in the set. I'm excited to play with some of them and test them out. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to look at the common creatures of which there are 57. And the average power and toughness for those creatures is 2.25 for power and 2.74 for toughness. And just to sort of compare to M20, it was almost the exact same toughness of 2.76, but basically about a quarter higher power for all the creatures. They were at 2.43. So that's about a a point. 0.2 difference, which is kind of big. Yeah, that's significant when you're talking about this many cards. Yeah. Um, The mode, which we probably should stop doing really because it's always 2-2 almost. So it's a 2-2 here and 2-2 in M20 and War of the Spark. And the range of power to toughness uh, is 0-6 for power, 1-7 for toughness. And this is about the same. M20 and War of the Spark were 0-7 to 
and 1 to 7, respectively. If we look at uncommon power and toughness for Throne of Eldraine, there are 48 creatures in total at uncommon. And these stats that you're going to hear are going to exclude the creatures that have variable power and toughness. So the average power for uncommons is 2.42. Average toughness is 2.38. That's a little unusual to see lower toughness than power. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I think that might be the first time we've ever had that. And I think that's because there's a lot of like 3-2 knights or 4-2s. And two ones. There are a lot of two ones in this set. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, and so to compare that to M20, the power average was 2.17, so lower, and about the same toughness, 2.3. So maybe some more utility type uncommons in M20 than there were in Throne of Eldraine. Mm-hmm. The mode still 2 2, and the range power runs from 0 to 5, and toughness runs from 1 to 5. So we're seeing, again, like we usually do, we see bigger power and toughness actually at common because I think that's generally where like the big dumb creatures live. And then at uncommon, you're seeing generally smaller creatures because those are where a lot of your abilities or like more utility creatures exist. And if we take a look at the grand total of creatures at common and uncommon, there are 105 total creatures in Throne of Eldraine, one less creature than M20 had. 62 of those 105 creatures have power two or less, which is about the same as M20. 55 had toughness two or less, which again is about the same as M20. And 25 have toughness one, which is surprisingly almost the exact same as M20 had 24. These are very similar stats. Yeah, but it feels like there's so many two ones in this format to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that may be borne out in the uncommons where we're seeing a lot of smaller creatures and especially seeing that smaller toughness than power on average. Uh, For converted mana cost stats of those creatures, the average is 3.15, which is a little lower than an M20 where it was 3.27. So about the same size of creatures-ish, but maybe you're paying a little less for them. Uh, The mode was two. In M20, the mode was three, but it was just barely three. It was one more than two. And the range here of CMC is one to seven as it was in M20. I just to sort of give you a backstory on why we started to do this. We really started the podcast around Ixalan time, which was when creatures were a lot better than the removal was. The removal was super clunky in Ixalan. So we wanted to compare how the converted mana cost of the removal matched up to the average converted mana cost of the creatures and the average power and toughness of the creatures. Like, were you overpaying drastically for removal? And then using that to draw conclusions moving forward about how good we would expect the removal to be in the format. So if we take a look at removal in Throne of Eldraine, there are 22 common and uncommon removal spells in total. In comparison, M20 had 27, so five more. The average cost of a removal spell here is 2.45, which is super cheap. Yep. That's the cheapest I think we've seen. Maybe I would have to go back and look at War of the Spark, but this is certainly in the running for the cheapest, if not the cheapest we've seen since we've started the podcast. Yeah. It's a fairly common split here of 13 removal spells at common and nine at uncommon, which are both of those numbers are lower than M20 was because, you know, M20 had more removal spells. And just a few noteworthy things about the removal. So as usual, the removal is concentrated in red and black. 10 of the 22 removal spells are red and black. Um, blue has a lot of tricks that I didn't count here. Um, there is a one, two flying flash creature for two mana. There's runaway together, which is the card that we really liked last week that the two mana bounce spell for a creature of yours and a creature of your opponents. And then so tiny is a flash aura to give a creature minus two minus O or minus six minus O as long as controller has seven or more cards in their graveyard. Um, I did count turn into a pumpkin because it's a one for one. That's the bounce spell draw card. There are four total removal spells that are enchantment or artifact based two in blue and two in white. 
So I'm wondering if naturalized effects are main deckable, and we'll get to that conversation in a little bit. And there are five combat tricks in white, in addition to its quote-unquote removal spell of outflank, which is a single white instant, deals damage to target attacking or blocking creature equal to the number of creatures you control. So I think white is going to be quite tricksy. I think that card is bad enough that it doesn't fall under the category of removal spell. <laughs> you just count it as like basically unplayable? Yes. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. It is pretty bad. So if we take a look and we compare removal CMC to CMC of creatures, so 2.45 on the average removal spell cost, average cost of a creature is 3.15. So you're getting almost a half a mana advantage just on the average there. And there are a lot of efficient removal spells that might give you way more than that. Yeah, I mean, and there didn't seem to be like super clunky. There's like one maybe clunky one in black. But of those like 10 removal spells in black and red, almost all of them are good. Even the five CMC one in red, I was like, this is pretty decent. Yeah, pretty hyped about the quality of the removal that I've seen. Yeah. If we take a look at archetypes and synergies that are supported, first one we want to take a look at is food. There are 16 cards at common and uncommon that create food and five cards at common and uncommon that can use food or eat food, as it were. Yeah. Uh, and this, <laughs> you didn't seem excited about that joke there. <laughs> Well, I mean, eat food, that's pretty low-hanging fruit. Huh? Huh? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> and so those five cards that can use food, that doesn't take into account cards that care about having artifacts or that can sacrifice artifacts. So food's sort of pulling double duty since they are artifacts in some of the archetypes in the format. These numbers surprised me. This seemed a little low for a like, you know, new mechanic in a format. Well, I think it's mostly concentrated in black and green, right? Right. So you, that's why you expect it to not be so big. I mean, some some other colors make food, but I guess black and green is where you're really using them more than just sacrificing them to gain life. Right. Those numbers look reasonable to me. That looks fairly well supported. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it in black green, that's right. That's fair. Uh, next up, we've got adventure and there are 23 total at common and uncommon. Uh, they go across all the colors, but they are concentrated in green and white where there are six green ones and five white ones and then one green white hybrid. And then there's four black, four blue and three red. And then there are five cards total that care about you having adventure cards, either the spells or the creatures. Um, and then there's one of them that's fairly medium. It's just like a two mana, two, two in green that gets plus one plus one until end of turn if you cast a creature adventure. But the other four at uh, common or uncommon are pretty strong. Yeah, so I think if you take a look at adventure, if you're thinking about adventure as a green-white thing, it's actually slightly less supported than food at black-green, right? Just strictly by the numbers. Yeah, that's fair. And almost all those cards that care about adventure are green and white. Yes. And then if we take a look at, at our next sort of tribal synergy thing, which is knights, those are concentrated in the Mardu colors, which are white, red, and black. There are 34 knights at common and uncommon out of 105 total creatures. That is almost a third of the cards that are knights. That's insane. Yeah, it's crazy. There are six white knights, two blue, seven black, eight red, three green, one black-green duel, one green-white duel. And then there's like a cycle of hybrid uncommons that are like four CMC of Boros mana or four CMC of Rakdos mana. So all of those are present in the Mardu colors as well as the white-black and white-red gold signpost uncommons. There are 12 cards that care about knights or grant bonuses to knights. And I think chief among those, we've got Bell of the Brawl, which is two and a black for a 3-2 human knight with menace. And when it attacks, 
Other knights you control get plus one, plus zero oh until end of turn. Next one up is Smitten Swordmaster, one in a black for a 2-1 lifelink human knight, and is an adventure, and the adventure portion of this is a sorcery called Curry Favor. You gain X life, and each opponent loses X life, where X is the number of knights you control. And I think one of our favorite cards in the whole set, Steel Claw Lance, which is the black-red uncommon. It's an equipment for black-red. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus two. It has an equip cost of three, but if it's equipping a knight, it has an equip cost of one. Yeah, that card is crazy powerful. Yeah, I, I'm just never passing that card, I think. It's really strong. It's it's Ghostfire Blade at uncommon. Yep. And the knights want to beat down, and Steel Claw Lance is going to let you do that very easily. Next up, we're going to look at blue-red card draw. So rather than being a spells matter deck, it's more of a, if you have drawn a second card this turn, you get bonuses sort of deck. So there's 14 cards in blue, red, or colorless at common or uncommon that draw cards. And there are five payoffs for drawing multiple cards a turn. And just a couple of things to throw out there. Thrill of Possibility. This is like Tormenting Voice at instant speed. It's one and a red for an instant. As an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card, and then you draw two cards. That's a one-card way to enable this on your opponent's turn for cheap. Ooh, baby. Yeah. Next one we've got here is Improbable Alliance, which we're counting as both an enabler and a payoff. Improbable Alliance is blue-red enchantment. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a 1-1 blue fairy creature token with flying and has the activated ability for blue-red, draw a card, discard a card. This card is insanely powerful. It's really good. I was so... It was so hard for me during the set review today with Travis to not just like give so many of these uncommons build around grades, but there are a lot of really fun build arounds in this set. This is just like a rock solid build around B plus or something like that, right? Yeah, for sure. And if we take a look at sweepers in the format, first of them is Realm Cloaked Giant. This card is busted powerful. The adventure portion of this is called Cast Off, three white white for a sorcery, destroy all non-giant creatures. And the creature, Realm Cloaked Giant, is five white white for a seven seven Vigilance Giant. This is a mythic rare, so fortunately you're not going to be seeing or playing against this that often. And then we have another card at rare here, which is Witch's Vengeance. It's one black black for a sorcery. Creatures of the creature type of your choice get minus three at minus three until end of turn. I heard you guys talking about this and then my internet cut out. Where did you end up on this? Because I like this card a fair amount. So I watched some of the pre-pre-release that Loading Ready Run does on Friday, and Jamie Rigotti had this in her deck, and she was playing a Mardu Knights deck, and her opponent was playing a Mardu Knights deck. And so this was kind of an awkward spell for her to cast because when she cast it it just like swept the board it was like a three for two not in her favor um like killed two of her knights two of her opponent's knights and so i think there's a, a bit of a knock against this that like knight is such a prominent thing that black is trying to do that this may be awkward for you um but i think it's good it's probably still like a b b minus like you're probably taking it out of most packs it's in but i think it's not i don't think it's going to be very easy to craft a board state or a situation where this is such a huge blowout i think there is right and so worst case this is probably three mana gives something minus three minus three right because you can choose the most obscure creature type on the card so most of the time you're going to be able to point and click on anything that a three damage thing could kill and then some amount of the time, you're just going to get two for ones or it's going to be plague wind. And then you're going to occasionally run into that awkward situation you described, right? 
Yeah, I I don't know. Like, I think a lot of things are just human knights. I don't think we have a lot of like, there are like knight goblins or something. But There's I don't. ogre knights running around. There's They slapped knight on a bunch of mythical creatures. The ogre knight is a 3-4, so you're not killing that. Nice try. Oh, well, overrated. <laughs> Who wanted to kill Shrek anyway? No, not me. But it's nice that there's like, I mean, we're moving into our X1 Punishers portion of the show here, but... It is nice that there's not really anything at common or uncommon that's like deal two to everything or whatever. I, I I like those limited formats. Right. So speaking of X1s, there are a ton of X1s running around, but not a lot of ways to punish them through one damage. So there's a card called Sir Care of the Bold. That's the biggest way to punish X1s. This is just a very good uncommon. What does Sir Care of the Bold do? This is three red red for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature, human knight at uncommon. Uh, when it or an instant or sorcery spell you control deals damage to a player, you can exile the top card of your library and you may play that card this turn. But the portion of text that we're talking about here is that it has tap deal one damage to any target. Yeah, that's big game against X1s. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the ways to punish X1s are really just stat lines. Like there's a few 1-3s and then there's many cards that make 1-1 one, one tokens that I think is going to be the best way to combat X1s. Yeah. But I, I don't think X1s are going to be quite as bad as normal in this set because a lot of the ways that make 1-1 one, one tokens are at uncommon as well. Do you think things like Curious Pair, which is a card I was not excited about today. So this is a one in a green for a one three human peasant. And it also has an adventure treats to share, which is a single green sorcery create a food token. Do you think that that makes this card better because there's not a lot of ways to punish X1s? I think that card, I'm slightly more excited about it than I was, which was not at all. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's going to be fine. I don't think that's a very good card. The one the one three that I'm most excited about is Brimstone Trebuchet. That was our Lords of Limited preview card. Two and a red for a one three defender with reach and can tap to deal one damage to each opponent. Whenever a knight enters the battlefield under your control, untap Brimstone Trebuchet. That, I think, is the best way to punish X1s at common. It has reach, folks. Brimstone Trebuchet has reach. Public service announcement. You heard it here first. I'm just going to keep yelling that into the ether because I don't want people to get dunked on by it in their pre-release. Yeah, so I, I'm slightly, you know, we've we've been pretty down on X1s as a podcast unified front. And I think I'm, I'm slightly, I'm slightly higher on X1s this set. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like there's very explicit ways to punish them. Like sometimes you have cards that are just like deal a damage, draw a card. And I'm not seeing anything like that here. Next up, we're looking at incidental life gain. I think, again, this is one of the stats that clued us into maybe Hour of Devastation being a slower format when things that are good just have life gain tacked onto them that can let you know about the speed or the style of a limited environment. Um, there's not a ton floating around other than food tokens. As we talked about before, there's about whatever, 15, 16 things that make food. Um, but beyond that, there's not a lot of things that gain you life and there's not a lot of things that care about life gain it's not really an archetype or even like a sub theme of an archetype and so yeah it remains to be seen how much food tokens are going to impact the speed of the format my stance currently is that you're still going to have to stabilize on your own before you have time to start cracking food tokens to get your life total up i think i'm with you there i don't think the presence of food tokens means the format's going to be slow in fact, at this point, like I'm kind of leaning, I'm just kind of curious. Let's just throw this out there right now. I'm kind of leaning that the format looks pretty aggressive to me. Yeah. So all the Mardu colors, even though they said like white black is supposed to be attritiony, that doesn't seem to be the case. The only thing that makes me think that it may not be so hyper aggressive is that the removal is so efficient. Yeah. There's going to be ways to combat it. That's for sure. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I feel like I, we're just going to get dunked on if we try and predict the speed of the format and then we're wrong. So I just, I just want to, I'm going to pass on that. Nice try okay. setting me up to fail there. 
moving on to our next category, which is the mana fixing. Again, there's not a ton of mana fixing in this set. Uh, there's Golden Egg, which lets you filter a mana. There's a card called Rose Thorn Acolyte that I'm pretty excited about. This is two and a green for a 2-3 Elf Druid and has an adventure called Seasonal Ritual, which is single green and allows you to add one mana of any color. So essentially you get a filter of mana for a green mana. And then the creature, 2-3, has the ability to tap, add one mana of any color. These things that tap for one mana of any color, I think are going to be big game helping you get to your third color of mana for adamant cards. That's the thing. So I think this is not a three color or more set. Like I think you're going to be drafting two color decks and you're going to be drafting monocolored decks. Whereas in other formats where there is mana fixing around, you can draft two, maybe three, maybe four color decks, whatever. But here, I think that's the right way to think about the fixing is that it's not there to help you splash. It's there to help turn on adamant bonuses. And there's a couple other ways to do that. There's a an artifact creature called Signpost Scarecrow. This is four mana for a two, four Vigilance, and you can pay two to add one mana of any color, which I think is probably going to be worth it to trigger adamant bonuses. Mm-hmm. Did you see the thing on Twitter, like someone from R&D posted a like joke about, oh, the signpost cards are supposed to let you know what a color pair does, but this card doesn't. And then Sam Black was like, yes, it does. So I'm <laughs> very excited to see Sam Black mess with this card Unlimited. Yeah. And there's another one that you and I are both pretty high on. This is Spinning Wheel. Yeah. This is a three mana artifact. It taps out a mana of any color, and then it has five tap to tap target creature. We talked about this at length uh, last week's episode, but I think both you and I, I think this looks clunky, but I think is going to play out actually quite well. Yep. And then taking a look at mana sinks, there's only a few good mana sinks and not that many of them generate any sort of a repeatable advantage. Like they're just ways to turn like a lot of these bad artifact creatures have something to turn them into medium artifact creatures if you pay a bunch of mana during your turn. The first one of those is Improbable Alliance. That was the blue red uncommon that we talked about earlier that lets you dump six mana into it to loot and make a 1-1 fairy token. There's also Malevolent Nobles, a card I've got my eyes on. This is one on a black for a 2-2, and you can pay two to sacrifice an artifact or another creature and put a plus one, plus one counter on Malevolent Noble. And lastly, card is a wall of text, or Conrad the Grim. Three black black for a 5-4 legendary human knight, and whenever another creature dies, or a creature is put into your graveyard from anywhere other than the battlefield, or... A creature card leaves your graveyard. Sir Conrad the Grim deals one damage to each opponent and then has the activated ability one black. Each player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. This card is pretty nuts. I keep I keep reading it and I'm like, oh, this is really strong. Whereas I first looked at it and I thought it was kind of clunky. No, it's it's good, I think. Yeah. And then as far as like other ways to put mana places, there's all of the hybrid mana cycle of uncommons. Those all have activated abilities for their hybrid colors of mana, and each color has a cycle of equipment, a common that you're maybe going to be able to pay equip costs floating those around. The last statistic that we want to look at here is flying and flying hate. So we've got actually less flying creatures than we normally do. There's only 15 with flying in this format and four that can gain flying. The breakdown there is five in white, six in blue, three in black, and then one blue green two blue-white, one blue-red, and then a colorless card that can gain flying. So not a ton. I mean, we're used to seeing them in like the high teens, low 20s. Yeah, and there's not a ton of ways to combat them either that are good. So there's a plummet variant in Fell the Pheasant, which is one and a green for an instant, which deals five damage to a creature with flying and gives you a food token. So pretty nice if you get a sideboard that in, but probably not looking to main deck that. And then as far as creatures with reach, we've got only one spider. Spore cap spider is two and a green for a one five with reach, which I think is going to be better than it looks because it's one of your only 
ways to defend against flying. Uh, there's brimstone trebuchet, as we've talked about before. That's the red artifact that pings and untaps when you cast a knight. That has reach. And tall as a beanstalk. What's that card? It is bad. Three and a green for an enchantment aura that gives a creature plus three plus three and reach. Yeah, that's not good. So while there's not a ton of flying, there's also not really a ton of ways to combat flying in this format. Yeah, I think flying, as usual, is going to be great and limited. So that's going to wrap up the statistics portion of our episode. And now we're going to take a look at the cards where we had gradation differences. And you get to choose hashtag I'm with Ben or hashtag I'm with Ethan with our very fancy points system. I took I took quite a few hot takes this time around, Ben. Uh, I'm looking forward to crushing you then. Great. Sounds good. So the first card here that we're going to take a look at in white is True Love's Kiss. This is two white white for an instant exile target artifact or enchantment draw card. Yeah, I give this a sideboard. You give this a C. I can see main decking it. I, I mean, I didn't give this much thought. It's just easy to slap a sideboard grade onto it. Mm-hmm. I could be convinced that it's correct to main deck this, but I don't think you're super happy about it. Like I would put it more in the D plus range. So I feel like it's kind of targets more often than not that I would rather probably start one in the main deck and then side it out aggressively rather than vice versa. But yeah, like I, I'm not saying this card is amazing or anything, but the fact that this can cantrip and that like the worst case scenario is maybe you nab a food token and draw a card, whereas you have other opportunities to like totally blow people out. People are going to be playing a lot of artifacts in this format. And now granted, they're not good. Like I was looking through our grades for the artifacts at common and uncommon, and most of them are in the low C's, high D range. So that's not exciting, but there's a lot of you know, artifact and enchantment based removal that people are playing. There is equipment that people are going to be playing. I think this will have a target in a lot of decks. Yeah, I'm going to be on a hard crusade for people to not put that enchantment removal in their decks. Like any of them? (laughs) No, some of them are good. Like the blue one's fine. They're fine. the, The claustrophobia one. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, you and I are coming in hot on like trapped in a tower and it's still it's still fine. It's just not it's not pacifism. It's not what pacifism was like five years ago. Right. Next up, we've got Archon of Absolution. I gave this a B. You gave us a C plus. Archon of Absolution is three and a white for a three two flyer with protection from white and has the text creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays one for each of those creatures. So what am I missing? This is a pull into white. Isn't this mostly just a four mana three two? I guess the tax on your opponent's creatures is not irrelevant, but it's not that relevant, is it? It's pretty relevant. I mean, it says your opponent's giving up mana to attack you in the mid game. I think that's pretty big game. And randomly, you're going to be playing against white decks, although only suckers play white. Uh, so <laughs> like, that shouldn't be happening too often. Remember Baird from Dominaria that had this text? That never felt super relevant to me. 3-2 Flyer so much better than 2-4 Random Vigilance, dude, though, right? Yeah, it is, but... Then, I, but I care about the stats of the creature then as a, just a four mana three two flyer than I do about that that text. Right, but it's going to make it so your opponent can't race you. Do you are you taking this over all of White's commons? Because I'm not taking this over the two three adventure card. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I think so. What was that noise? <laughs> that was some indecisiveness. <laughs> okay, so all right, then maybe this is I'm, just. I'm, the... I'm going to go. I'm going to go B minus. Okay, that's fair. I, I, I can see B minus. I'll meet you at B minus. Next up, we've got Righteousness. This is a reprint. This is a single white mana for an instant target blocking creature gets plus seven, plus seven until end of turn. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a Synergy C plus. Please do not tell me the Synergy is with Fling. No, the Synergy is not with Fling, but that would be great. (laughs) Now that you brought it up, I like this card even more. (laughs) 
But seriously, in a deck that wants to block, this is really powerful if you're in a controlling deck. Ben, casting combat tricks when you're blocking is so dangerous. It's so bad. And that's all this card can do. Okay, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. Glad that's over with. What do we got going on in blue? D plus. Hashtag I'm with Ethan. Got him. First up in blue, we've got Mantle of Tides. I gave us a C, you gave us a D. This is a common. This is a single blue for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus two. And whenever you draw your second card each turn, attach Mantle of Tides to target creature you control. And it has an equipped cost of three. Why don't you like this card? Well, I don't like it because it's expensive to equip. The stats aren't great. It's an artifact and it's blue. So it's like, oh, this wants to go in blue white where it cares about artifacts and enchantments. And just a quick side note, I didn't put that in the stats portion of the show because we had talked about so much of the like, quote unquote, payoffs for blue white last week. And there really weren't more. So I was like, I don't really want to keep talking about this archetype that doesn't seem to really get there in terms of like payoffs for playing artifacts and enchantments. I agree. But then this has the text of draw your second card each turn, which makes me think it wants to go in blue-red. But blue-red doesn't care about having this mantle of tides, does it? I think it's good because plus one, plus two is a real boost to a creature. And I think it's going to let a creature either hold down the fort or have attacks that it might not otherwise. And even more importantly, hold down the fort. Mm -hmm. I like that it's cheap. And when you're drawing cards, the thing that you're choked on is like board presence or the ability to deploy stuff. So maybe you can cast a card draw spell and then play this in the same turn and and equip it. I think this is going to like make it so that you can block effectively while drawing cards. And there's a lot of ways to draw cards in blue, period, Mm -hmm. not even just blue red. So I see this in sort of a controlling deck as a way to augment your creatures and have the best creature on the battlefield while you're drawing cards to prevent your opponent from attacking. I I think I uh, agree with you. I think I may be too low on this card. And one of the reasons I think that is because, again, watching the pre-pre-release on Friday, um, I saw one of the players had Giant Skewer, which is an equipment that gives a creature plus two, plus one, and also has an equip cost of three. This is in black. And when I read that card, I was like, this looks too slow and clunky. And then seeing it in play, I was like, no, this is actually kind of good. And that might be the case here. I also didn't quite consider that like you could pass with some mana up and then draw cards on your opponent's turn and you can like get this as a combat trick sort of like if you draw two cards and then you just get to attach it instant speed yeah Yeah, that red card okay all right so you gave it a c i gave it a c all right i'm in for c maybe it's c minus but i do think it's like gonna gonna see some play i think this is a real equipment yeah i'm with you all right next up we've got into the story i give us a c plus you gave us a b this is five blue blue for an instant draw four cards and the spell costs three less to cast if an opponent has seven or more cards in their graveyard just like i'm not getting fooled again by giving scholar of the ages a low grade these seven drops are busted this is so good seven mana for draw four is a lot but it's very powerful if you ever cast this for four mana holy cow yeah the reason i'm not crazy in love with this is there's a card at common that i think does like a reasonable impression of this so there's at common there's a card called unexplained vision which is four and a blue for a sorcery, draw three cards, and has adamant. If at least three blue mana was spent to cast it, you scry three. So I don't think there's a premium for this type of effect. That's why I do think the card is that powerful, but I don't think the effect is scarce enough that you're going to need to pick it that highly. It's like in Modern Horizons when there was Reign of Revelation at Common, and so like factor fiction didn't really matter. Right. Yeah, all right. I I think you've convinced me. You talked me down. I still really like this card, but um, I'm going to get out of the B range here. 
Last blue card we want to look at here is Sage of the Falls, which is four and a blue for a 2-5 Merfolk Wizard. And when it or another non-human creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. Yeah, give us a C, you give us a B minus. I don't see what's so special about this card. This enables the blue-red, like, draw a second card every turn thing. I think that's good. I think these stats are nice and beefy to block on the ground. I also think that there's, like, not a lot of ways to, like, you know, we did said that there aren't a lot of mana sinks, and so what are you doing with those extra lands that are stuck in your hand? You can loot these away. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about this so much as your creatures triggering the drawing your second card a turn. That makes me more excited about this, but I don't think it puts me in a B minus range. I think I, I want to be C plus. I think I want to be in that deck before I'm excited about this card. That's fair. I'll, I'll meet you at C plus. Can we talk quickly for a second about Folio of Fancies? This is a blue rare. I give us an F. Oh you yeah, give us a B. Oh, this card's great. No, this card is garbage. Okay, so Folio Fancies is one in the blue for an artifact. It's a rare. It says players have no maximum hand size. You can pay XX tap for each player to draw X cards and two blue tap for each opponent to put a number of cards equal to the number of cards in their hand from the top of their library into their graveyard. This is like Grindstone or Millstone. This is so bad. Here's what's going to happen with this card. You're going to pay six mana to have each of you draw three cards. And then your opponent is going to spend their mana to play things that kill you while you're trying to spend more mana of yours to activate this, not advance your board and mill them out. And they're going to kill you before you get there on milling them out because they're going to be deploying the cards from their hand because they're going to be hitting their land drops because you're giving them cards. I'm not activating this first line of text like almost ever, maybe once, like after they're out of cards in their hand. But like. I'm just looking at, a, at this as a mill card. So you're you're doing what? Two blue target player puts what? Two cards into their library? Yeah, you mill you mill them a few times, and maybe you give them some more cards. But it's on their end step, so you get to untap and do stuff. Look, I, I think blue black is trying to get people to have like seven or more cards in their graveyard. This helps you do that. I feel like this is a maybe. I need to give it like a build around B. But this seems like it could be a win condition. Maybe I'm totally wrong about how much I can mill my opponent with this. But I don't know. You get that's what that's what I think. I think your opponent's going to be emptying their hand. If you're ever giving them cards, they're hitting their land drops and they're able to cast all those cards, right? Because you're not going to be doing this until the late stages of the game. I guess that's true. Like, why, I'm not. I play this on turn two and then I can't really activate it for a few turns anyway. This card is bad. All right. You're right. I will go to a D for this card. Thanks a lot, Ben. I didn't know that we could dip into rares and just call people out like that. Unbelievable. <laughs> so savage. All right, what do we got going on in black? First one up, we've got one common here, Reaper of Night. I give us a C. You gave us a D. This has been a hotly contested card in the Lords of Limited Discord. So this is an adventure card. The first portion of it is the Adventure Sorcery Harvest Fear. Three and a black target opponent discards two cards. And then the creature is Reaper of Night, five black black for a four five. And whenever Reaper of Night attacks, if defending player has two or fewer cards in hand, it gains flying until end of turn. So the reason I don't like this card, and I recognize that like, you know, adventures, some of them are just great, like in terms of one of the halves is a thing you would expect at that rate. And then you just get a bonus of the other thing. Sometimes it's like, well, these are two effects that I don't find desirable or like individually, but together they make up a card. Here it feels like these are both overcosted things. I'm not particularly interested in a mind rot in limited in my main deck, but like I'm happy to have the option, I guess, at four mana. But I'm definitely not interested in a seven mana four five. A seven mana four five flyer? Even a seven mana four five flyer. That's really expensive. So if this card goes according to plan, 
Mm-hmm. You will have three for one your opponent, and one of those three for ones is a four five, maybe a flyer. It's seven mana. It's so expensive. It is, but I think this card is like a reasonable finisher at common. All right. Yeah, I maybe, mean, maybe you're right. I just, I, I don't think you're ever that excited to play the mind rot portion of it either. So mind rot is bad when you draw it late and it's dead, right? That's one of the main drawbacks of mind rot and the tempo loss, like you spending mana to not affect the board. Uh-huh. But if if you find a turn, like ideally with mind rot, you're nabbing your opponent's last two cards. And if you ever get in that situation, I don't think you care if you're paying four mana versus three mana. I think that's negligible. And then if you've done that, you're probably going to be able to get to seven mana and close the game out with this card. It's just like it does everything in one nice little package. I think this card's either going to be like you want. It's not going to be where you want like two or three of these. You're either going to want one or none. But I think the first copy could be pretty good in a deck that wants to control the, the game. Yeah, the, the my biggest problem with this is I guess you just need to put it in a controlling deck. So maybe it's a synergy C. Because my problem with this is the times where you're just like, oh, I need something that affects the board. And what I have is a seven mana spell that I'm never going to cast. I'm in for synergy, see? Okay, cool. Next up in the uncommons, we've got a card that I think we're actually in agreement about, but I do want to talk about it because I think it's pretty controversial. This is Revenge of Ravens. It's three and a black for an enchantment and says whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, that creature's controller loses one life and you gain one life. I'm at B minus on this card, Ben. I'm at C plus. I think this is a very good card. I do too. So can you talk to me about why you think it's good? I think there's several strategies it's good against, right? Normally when we've seen this before, it's been in an instance of when you're attacked, right? Not like the number of things that are attacking you. Right. So if your opponent is knights or trying to go wide at all, this basically nerfs anything that's like three power or less into something that's not very scary. I mean, three power, it's kind of still scary. Three damage is a lot to take. But anything, but then you're only taking two from it. And anything with two power, you're only taking one from. So it's kind of like giving your opponent's team minus one, minus O. And if you're any sort of aggressive deck at all, and you've pressured their life total, they might only have like seven attacks left in the game or something. Yeah, that's what I think, especially because there's not a lot of life gain uh, running around aside from food tokens that I think there's a lot. I think there's way more situations where this card is going to be good. Like, sure, there are going to be times when you're playing against a green opponent and they just have like a couple of big dumb things and you side it out because this isn't doing anything. But against a lot of decks in the format, it looks like this is going to do work. Right. I think this is good against more of the decks than it's not. So I think it you started in the main and I think it's going to be a good card when you're in those matchups and then you side it out when it's not. Yes, I agree. So we weren't super different on grades there, but I do think that's a, a hot card and I think one we needed to talk about. Next up is Spectre's Shriek. I give us an F. You give us a sideboard grade. It says single black for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You may choose a non-land card from it. If you do, that player exiles that card. If a non-black card is exiled that way, exile a card from your hand. I mean, this isn't an F, right? You you can bring this in against uh, opponents with swamps and this will be fine. I guess, but there's a card at common that does the same thing with upside for three mana. Oh, that's true. Yeah, where you can you can have a card of theirs and an adventure that's exiled. Right. So I just don't know when you're ever going to want this over that because I don't think the mana cost. I mean, I guess doing it on turn one means you don't have to take turn three off, but no. Nah, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, this is this is not a good card, period. Right. 
I think we're splitting hairs here. Yeah, that's fair. All right, we've only got one card to look at here in red. This is Embereth Shieldbreaker. It's an uncommon. It's one in a red for a 2-1 Human Knight, but it's also got an adventure half. It's a sorcery battle display, a single red destroy target artifact. So I gave this a C plus. You gave this a C minus. Yeah, I don't think... I guess there are more artifacts running around than I thought. And I think you're going to see more artifacts than you thought. Like, again, just having the possibility of blowing up a food token isn't the worst thing in the world. And then if you actually get to nab an equipment or a creature, it's pretty sweet. And the, if this wasn't a knight, I think I'd be lower on it. But it is. And I think that's pretty good, too. All right. I'm in. C+. I am going to throw another pop rare quiz at oh, you here. Come on. Oh, this is oh, good. I wanted to talk about this. I am loving Fires of Invention. Yeah, I think you're very wrong about this. So I give this a build around B plus and you give this an F. Fires of Invention is an enchantment for three and a red. You can only cast spells during your turn and you cannot cast more than two spells each turn. You can cast spells with converted mana costs less than or equal to the amount of land you control without paying their mana costs. Ben, this doesn't draw you cards. This is just card disadvantage and it just makes stuff cheaper. This can't be worth it. But if you put card draw in your deck, so picture this. Oh, let me ask you this. I can't I can't believe you don't love this card. I see so much potential here. It's such an Ethan card. No. Ugh. So you play this on turn four. Turn five. You cast a card draw spell and play another spell, and then you're just off to the races, and you're playing two cards every turn because you're hitting your land drops because you're drawing cards. If this is in your deck with card draw and you hit this and cast a card draw spell after it, you're playing two, like, four-plus CMC cards every turn. No, that assumes that your deck is full of, like, four drops and five drops. How many draw threes can you put in your deck, even with this? That's the dream, right? Yeah, but I think that dream is a nightmare. No, I, oh man, I really want to make this card work. I can't wait for you to show me your 3-0 or 7-X or 5-X deck that had this, this in it, but I don't think it's going to happen. So you, you're, you're hard on, you're never putting this in your deck? Never drafting this until someone proves me, proves it to me otherwise, but I don't think that this is ever worth it. So many things have to go right for this card to do what you're saying. And there are so many scenarios where it's just terrible. I think this is just going to be a good build around in a blue red deck. Uh, I, like I said, uh, I've been wrong before. I can't wait to see it. But I have to imagine that people are hashtag I'm with Ethan on this one. All right. Throw them at me. I can handle it. I'm a big boy. <laughs> Moving on to green. We've got one common we, we want to look at, which is Twin Veil Tree Folk. It's five and a green for a six, five Tree Folk Druid, but it has an adventure. Oak and Boon, three and a green for a sorcery. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. So I give this a C. You gave it a D plus. Yeah, this seems like a clunky finisher. I mean, I'll play one of these if I need a finisher in my green deck. Yeah, I think that this is good. I mean, it's not really like a three for one, like the black mind rot four five flyer, but I'm pretty happy to curve this like, all right, I make something a little bit bigger and dumber with the two counters and then I get to play a six five later. That all seems pretty good to me. Like, I'm not wild about it, but I think one of these in most green decks seems likely. Yeah, C minus. All right. Next up, we've got Beanstalk Giant. I do not like this card nearly Ooh. as much as you. I gave us a C. You gave us a B minus. This is an adventure card. Two and a green, fertile footsteps, sorcery, adventure. Search your library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. And the creature is Beanstalk Giant. Six and a green, star star, with power and toughness equal to the number of lands you control. Yeah, I love this card. Ramps. It fixes if you want, that you probably don't want but this and the green common that we talked about earlier you know you could potentially splash with a green deck and like the adventure 
fuels the giant. I get that it's just a big dumb thing. It's just first claw or whatever. But I just this is a two for one. How is this bad? I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's good. Maybe a C plus. This feels like a pull into green for me at the moment. But maybe I'm maybe I'm overvaluing rampant growth effects in a format that's more likely to be monocolored. Yeah, I think that's true. I don't think you're going to care about the fixing that much. I think the format's going to be on the quicker side. And I think the seven mana seven seven is going to be able to be chumped into oblivion. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to stick with B minus here, but I'll be interested to see how this shakes out. Next up is Edgewall Innkeeper. This is single green for a 1-1 human peasant. Whenever you cast a creature spell that has an adventure, draw a card. So I was initially high on this, and then Travis sort of talked me down in the set review today. So I gave this a D. You gave it a build around B minus. And the point that he made that kind of got me thinking about these cards a little differently is that like adventures are already two for ones. Like You already have a lot of value in your deck, and I don't know how many you can reliably get where the cost of a one mana one one, and we talked about this last week, where like you really need to cast two adventure creatures for this to be good, right? Because a one mana one one isn't worth a card, so you need two things to be up on cards. I think that's going to be not super common. And when you don't get to recoup the card disadvantage from this, it's really bad. I agree, but the first time you adventure, you can trip with it, right? So it's essentially not costing you anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you're gonna. This is gonna have a home in a green white adventure deck. And I think a lot of those adventures are not necessarily going to be two for ones because a lot of the adventures have like some awkward tension with themselves, especially the combat trick ones that are like aggressive creatures. Because if you play the aggressive creature portion, like you're not really thrilled with a two mana two one. But then if you wait and you get value out of the combat trick, you're still not really thrilled with a two mana two one later in the game. So this lets you like curving this into the two mana two one adventure combat trick card lets you feel a lot better about that two mana two one. That's true. So here's my question. Let me ask you this. How many adventure creatures do you need to have before you're happy to have this in your deck? Yeah, that's the rub. I mean, eight, maybe? Yeah, it feels like something like in the six, seven, eight range is the threshold. I don't quite know what it is. So I I just think that's the consideration. And you have that in your build around grade. But I, I think this is maybe not as necessary to the adventure strategy as maybe I thought initially. I could see that. Last year, we've got Once and Future. I give us a C minus. You give us a C plus. This is three and a green instant return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Put up to one other target card from your graveyard on top of your library. Exile Once and Future and Adamant. If at least three green mana was spent to cast the spell, instead return those cards to your hand and exile Once and Future. So you get both instead of just getting one. So this is similar to a Soul Salvage effect. I'm basically only thinking of it as the Adamant portion because I'm not casting this on turn four. I'm assuming I'm casting this on like turn seven or eight or whatever. And when I have access to three green mana, because I'm not interested in this if it's not a two for one, it's a powerful two for one. I think this is a strong card. I'd go C. Soul Salvage isn't a C plus. But Soul Salvage can't get uh, any card. You can get two removal spells back. All right. C plus C. Like you just don't want me to be right. You know this <laughs> card is good. I, nah, I, it's clunky. It's Scholar of the Ages. You didn't care about Scholar of the Ages being a 3-3. You cared about it getting two cards back. This can get just two whatever you want back. But you could loop Scholar because it was a 3-3. Yes, yes, I know. I still think this card is... A, this is better than Soul Salvage. It's very good. Better than Soul Salvage, but I don't know about very good. So you're going C, not C+, plus, just to spite me? I'm going to go C, not C+, plus, just to spite you. All right, that's fair. We got to have some difference so the people can vote. That's true. That's true. Moving on to multicolored cards. First one we've got here is Covetous Urge. I give us a D+, plus, you give us a B-. minus. 
This is four Demir hybrid mana for a sorcery. Target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from that player's graveyard or hand and exile it. You may cast that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. I feel like I'm talking first no matter if my grade's higher or lower here. (laughs) Do you want me to go here? (laughs) Yeah, you go. I think this card is a steaming pile of poo. So four mana is so much for this effect. You're not going to want to pay that. This is sort of like demonic. This this is like like a four mana tutor effect that you don't want to spend four mana for because some of the time you're going to get whatever you're going to get some random card out of your opponent's graveyard and you're not even going to two for one them or like the best case scenario is your opponent has a stone cold bomb in their hand and you still spent four mana to tutor for it but you don't know if you're going to get that deal or not when you hit that this card will be fine to good but the worst case scenario when you're getting something out of their graveyard is just not great right you have to be stable to be able to spend four mana to go get the thing i think this is really expensive and clunky so in most games of magic in your, if you don't see this in your first 10 or 11 cards, which is where you'll see it to be able to cast it on turn four, you're probably not going to see it, right? If you want to cast it on curve in a blue-black deck, you're more often than not going to be able to do so if you're going to see it that game. And the times when you cast this on turn four, it's going to be great. You take the best card out of their hand that's remaining, which is going to be like a four drop, five drop, six drop, and then you get to cast that next turn if it's relevant for you. And then, yeah, the times when you can't afford to cast it for four mana after that, when you do happen to draw it in those next few turns before the game is over or mostly over, then you could even with like six mana pay four mana to get like a two mana removal spell out of their graveyard and then cast that if you need to do something that turn. I think this card is going to be very powerful most of the time. and I think it looks deceptively clunky. I hear what you're saying. I just think it is actually clunky. I don't think it's deceptively clunky. You don't think that's a powerful turn to go four, like on turn four, I take the best thing out of your hand and then I get to cast that next turn? What if your opponent's on knights and you're just dying? It's impossible. Then don't cast this. Cast something else. I guess I would come up from D plus, but this does not pull me into blue black at all right now. Like I would go C minus C maybe. It's so much mana. Are you excited about four mana tutor for the best card in your deck? No, but that's not what this is. Because you're taking a card out of your opponent's hand? Because you're taking the best thing out of their hand. And I guess if the best thing in their hand isn't very good, you're probably still pretty excited because their hand's terrible. Probably. And that has still has the flexibility. If there's stuff in their graveyard, you look at their hand, their hand sucks. You go, cool, then I'll take this removal spell or whatever. Like, I think I think this is good. Mm, I'll go C. All right. Got you up from D plus to C. I'll take it. Next up, uh, another hybrid card. This is Elite Headhunter. This is for Rakdos mana for a 2-3 human knight. It has menace, and you can pay any combination of three Rakdos, sacrifice another creature or artifact to have Headhunter deal two damage to target creature or planeswalker. I gave this a C. You gave this a B minus. I'm throwing some pies in people's faces with this, baby. This is going in my... You're not throwing anything at anybody's face, buddy. The, the creatures faces on the other side of the battlefield you know yeah but they have to be x2s for you to kill them otherwise you have to invest six mana and two resources to kill them this this card is not good you don't think so i don't think so a four mana two three menace is not a good stat line at all i agree that's an awkward stat line and then this three mana to sacrifice something to only deal two damage and it can't go face yeah maybe i'm too in love with the idea of throwing food around <laughs> you just, just want to start a, a food fight a food fight yeah yeah, I, I, I'm sticking with my grade of C here. I'll go C plus. Next up, we've got Fireborn Knight. This is a B minus from me and a C from you. 
This is quadruple Boros hybrid mana for a 2-3 double strike, and you can pay quadruple Boros to give it plus one, plus one until end of turn. So we talked about this last week a little bit. Again, I'm not crazy about this stat line, and it's so expensive to pump mana into it. This is essentially a four mana, four, three threat of activation is real. And there's so many knights that are adventures that have combat tricks running around. I think this is good in Boros. Yeah, okay. But you're saying a four mana, four, three, like that's an exciting thing. You'd give a four mana, four, three, like a C minus. But the double strike is super real, right? I just think there's, you said yourself, there's a lot of combat tricks in white. There are a lot of combat tricks in white, but that doesn't mean that. So you're just saying like, yeah, I guess you gotta chump this or you're. Like if your opponent plays this, aren't you scared as the defender? Yes, I am. And you can't really attack into it, probably. Right. Yeah. All right. I'll go C+. Moving over to the artifacts. First one here is Crashing Drawbridge. I give us a D. You give us an F. It says two mana for an 0-4 defender with tap creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. This is so awkward. Like a two mana 0-4 defender isn't good. And then it like also wants you to have creatures that you want to be attacking with. And then you have to tap your defender on your own turn to do it. This can't be good. Yeah, this card's bad. I mean, I gave it a D. I think it has power and toughness. It's an artifact. It's going to maybe sit and play in your blue-white deck, block some knights early on, and then maybe when you are turning the corner, help you turn the corner a little faster. Like, I don't think it's an F, but I don't think it's good at all. Yeah, okay. Power and toughness, I guess it can't be so unplayable. I'm surprised about your grade of this next card. I, I want to hear you tell me why this is good. This is Weapon Rack. It's four mana for an artifact. It enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it. And then you can tap, move a plus one plus one counter from it to another target or to a target creature. And you activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. Did you also think this was a creature? No. Why? Because no. that's what I was like. I was like, this is kind of bad, but at least it's a four mana three, three. And then I realized it wasn't. And I was like, this no. is terrible. <laughs> I didn't think that at all. This is so bad. I don't think so. You want there's uh, colors that want artifacts lying around for things. And this is an artifact that's going to stay on the battlefield. You get to put plus one plus one counters on creatures to enable attacks like you get to spread it around where you need them. I guess it's kind of like a delayed oaken form when I think about it that way. I'm not in love with it. Bad, Ben. (laughs) I I don't know. (laughs) This card is appealing to me. You just can't explain it. I can't describe my attraction to this card. I, I, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm going stone unplayable. This is this is an F. I, you can't talk me up from this. So what if you go two drop, three drop, and then you enable an attack for your two drop? Like this could just keep your opponent on the back foot the whole time to where they can't block profitably. Just play literally anything else. Play it. You're, this, you're talking about playing an aura, Ben. But that is more resistant to your opponent having a removal. How is it more resistant? Because they kill it before you and they like help you out. And they're like, hey, I'll kill it before you invest all three counters in this creature. Right. You get to spread them around (laughs) other places. Exactly. You're telling me you're sticking with C for this card. I mean, I didn't feel bad about this grade (laughs) until you made me feel so bad about it right now. I guess I'll go like D plus. I look you're an adult you can grade this card however you want I'll go d plus okay I I will be very surprised if this makes a deck of yours through the entirety of this format I just started sweating profusely (laughs) 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 next up we've got shambling suit I gave us a synergy c plus you gave us a d this is three mana for a star three and its power is equal to the number of artifacts and or enchantments you control I'm not excited about having, maybe I'm just totally underrating the white, blue artifacts and enchantments deck. 
But again, this just seems like such a medium payoff. Like, ooh, I have to work hard for my three mana three three. Well, but it's it's intrinsically a one three. If you have one other food token lying around, it's a two three. And I think there's going to be sometime in the late game where it's a four three or a five three. I mean, it's not great, but it's also not bad. Yeah. At what point do you start taking this like it's a C plus though? Well, I, maybe C plus is high. Maybe it's a synergy C. But like, you're gonna have to draft blue white sometimes, and when you do. This is going to make your deck. Okay, that's fair. Synergy C. Mark me down. All right, our last card here before we get into our top commons and uncommons is Witch's Oven, the Ethan Sachs card. Single mana artifact. Tap, sack a creature, create a food token. If the sacrificed creature's toughness was four or greater, create two food tokens instead. I gave this a build around C+. You gave this a D. Yeah, I don't love it. Yeah, if it's a free sacrifice outlet, it makes food tokens... It's good against people playing the like artifact and or the enchantment based removal. It's very good with my little one drop cat. There's not a ton of ways to like make food tokens repeatably. I agree with that assessment. I just don't know that this is like such card disadvantage to go about making food tokens. I mean, this is a whole card. Like, are you really telling me like how many creatures do you have to sacrifice to this before you're happy about using it as a card? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. Three, four, five. I mean, like there's there's a green uncommon that makes three food tokens potentially. And I'm not excited about that card at all. And that doesn't take any work. Oh, I'm very the one that can also be a seven, seven. Well, I'm excited about the seven, seven portion of it, but I'm I'm less excited excited about food. Yeah, no, I I don't know. I like maybe this is just bad, but it seems like this could slot into a black green grindy value deck could even slot into maybe like a blue black. I'm trying to fill my graveyard deck if I can use the food tokens, but maybe it's just too, too slow. Well, you haven't answered the question. How many food tokens do you have to bake? How much baking are you doing before you're happy? I, I don't know. I, that, that, I think it depends on where what I can do with those tokens. But like, I could see uh, the potential of like making three or four and being happy with it. I think I would be much closer to four to five. Okay. Yeah, maybe this is just too bad. I just want it to be good. I think that's it. I understand. All right. It's not very good. And we had no disagreements on the lands. The lands are busted. Just just to let everyone know this common cycle of lands is very good. I'm only really excited about the blue and the green one. I think you should be most excited about the black one in limited. Topping a creature is going to be better than topping a spell most of the time, I think. Maybe they're similar. Maybe I'm excited about the black one. They're pretty similar. They're they're just very high picks, I think. I think we're I think we're I already have one of them in my top three commons of a color. Speaking of, that's the next portion of our episode. Yeah, let's get into this. Okay, Ben, where are you at on your white commons? At number three, I have trapped in a tower, which is one and a white for an enchantment aura. It can't enchant creatures with flying and enchanted creature can't attack or block or activate its activated abilities. This card is not bad, but it's also not good. Like, And I think because we're saying that it's not good, people are hearing that we're saying that it's bad. I'm yes. going to play trapped in a tower in my decks, but I'm not first picking it. And I don't think it's the best white common. I'm going to be begrudgingly playing trapped in a tower. I'm I'm not even saying I'm going to be begrudgingly playing it. Like I'm going to be happy with one of them in most of my white decks, but I'm not happy on loading up on this like I would be with most like top common removal spells. That is my number three as well. For number two, I've got Fairy Guide Mother. We talked about this card a lot last week. Single white mana for a 1-1 fairy with flying, and it has an adventure, sorcery, gift of the fae, one and a white target creature gets plus two, plus one, and gains flying until end of turn. That did not make my top commons list. It's my probably number four, and white's commons are a woof again. You think so? I do. I'm pretty, I'm coming in as I don't want to draft white in this set and prove me otherwise. Wow, okay. 
In my number two, I've got Youthful Knight. This is one and a white for the 2-1 Knight with First Strike. And I believe we probably have the same creature at number one here, Ardenvale Tactician. One white, white for a 2-3 Human Knight with Flying and has an adventure. Dizzying Swoop is one and a white for an instant. Tap up to two target creatures. Yeah, that card is just super strong. I think if you're putting Trapped in a Tower ahead of that card, I think you're making a big mistake. I agree. See, the thing that makes me surprised about you saying that White's Commons aren't great is that they just have a bunch of adventure cards. Adventure cards are just good. Even the bad ones are good. I don't think that's true. You don't like the like one that's make a 2-2 Knight and then it's a 3-3 Vigilance? I don't love it. I mean, I think it's fine. I think that's a good card. But it's not in your it's not in your top three commons. No, but you said White's commons are a woof. And like, just because it didn't make my top three commons doesn't mean it's bad. I don't think you're particularly excited about either portion of that. Like three mana, two, two vigilance is way overpriced. Five mana, three, three vigilance is way overpriced. And you're overpaying for both of those to get a built in two for one of two cards that aren't intrinsically very good on their own. It's like you remember Reap the Sea Graph, the like two in a black, make a two, two and then four in a blue, flash it back. It's like that. It's good. Okay. How excited were you about Boneclad Necromancer in M20? I was more excited than you were about it, but that had a problem of like just being a five drop in a world where there were so many good five drops. Right. This is investing eight total mana for those same stats. But yeah, but, <laughs> but you're getting to play a three mana two two, whereas that was a five drop. This is a three drop and then you get to have a five drop at some point. But neither of them are good at their points on the curve. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm clearly not going to convince you. And I just think that it's better than you think it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm probably lower on this than the rest of the world. But I'm like pretty cautious about a lot of these adventure cards. Like so there's also Silver Flame Squire, which is one and a white for the two one. And then on alert is the instant adventure for two and a white target mm-hmm. gets plus two plus two until end of turn. Like there's just tension there. I, yes. think a, I think a lot of the adventure cards have tension in them. And yes, they're modal, but I think you're paying a pretty big premium for the modality of those cards. I also think for something like that, like I think they're pretty skill testing cards as well. Like something like that, you don't just want to be like, well, I've got it in my opener. I'm going to play a two mana two one here. Like I don't think that's where you want to be. I think you want to think about it more like, well, I've got this option of a three mana trick and then I can play a two one afterwards. Right. So and so back to I'm surprised you didn't push back at all on Youthful Knight being in my top white commons. So I've got Youthful Knight in my top white commons because I think it's a two drop that you always want to play on turn two. It's a knight. It's aggressive. And it's going to be a place where you're happy putting those tricks from all the things that are floating around. And I think it's going to benefit the most from all the power and toughness boosting things that there are in the night colors. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, why would I push back on that? I don't know, because I think a lot of people would think that because uh, Silver Flame Squire is an adventure and like a two for one, quote unquote, that it's a better card than Youthful Knight. No, I think Youthful Knight is a two mana two on first strike. I mean, having played against it and knowing that there's not a lot of things to punish X ones, I think Youthful Knight's going to be a pretty serviceable card here. Right. That's where I really came to is that there's not a lot of ways to punish X ones mm-hmm. running around. So I do think this is going to be a good aggressive threat. Like you're not going to be running into a ton of one threes. No. All right. Where are you at on the uncommons? My number two is Mysterious Pathlighter. This is two and a white for a 2-2 flyer, and each creature you control that has an adventure enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter on it. I think this card is just rock solid. Windrake's fine on its own, and then you're going to have some amount of adventure cards in your deck that are going to be plus one, plus one, which is just all, all told very good. 
Yeah, that card's great. I've got Glass Casket as my number two. This is one and a white for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you exile target creature and opponent controls with CMC three or less until Glass Casket leaves the battlefield. I was surprised to see that on your list. And then I thought about that it's white and it's the artifact enchantment deal and it's going to sit on the battlefield. I think that bumps it up more than normal. Yeah, and it's just like it's cheap. Yeah, Yeah, it's not getting rid of a ton of stuff, but this is definitely better than like, this is better than Trapped in a Tower for me, 100%. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Number one, I've got Sir Allen the Lion's Claw. This is three white white for a 4-4 four, four knight with first strike, and whenever it attacks, other creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. This is a scary card. Yeah, that card is great. I also have that as my number one white uncommon. Moving on to the blue commons. In This was hard for me. There are a lot of good blue commons. I didn't think there were. Really? I thought there were a lot that could have gone in the number three slot. I ended up settling on Steel Gaze Griffin. This is four and a blue for a two four flying griffin. And whenever you draw your second card each turn, Steel Gaze Griffin gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. Yeah, I like that card a lot. It did not make my top three. I've got Charmed Sleep here at number three. This is the Claustrophobia variant. It's one blue blue for an enchantment aura, enchanted creature. Doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. And when Charmed Sleep enters the battlefield, you tap enchanted creature. Yeah, I've got that at number two. I Again, I'm begrudgingly putting it there. I don't love it. I think there's a lot of ways to punish this enchantment removal in the set. Uh... I have Runaway Together at number two. This is one and a blue for an instant. You choose a creature you control and a creature an opponent controls, and you return those creatures to their owner's hands. Yep, that's my number one. I said it last week, and I'm sticking by it. Wow, you really went for it. I tried to get that in my top three, but I think there's another common that's pretty exciting to me. And maybe I'm just too high on adventures in general, but this is Queen of Ice. Two and a blue for a 2-3 human noble wizard. When it deals combat damage to a creature, you tap that creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. And there is a an adventurer half here, Rage of Winter, one and a blue for a sorcery. To tap target creature, it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. I got some news for you, Ethan. That didn't make my top blue commons, and you're going to need to let that go. Ugh, I hate that. Travis made that joke earlier today, and it made me want to throw up, and now I feel <laughs> nauseous again. Uh... Yeah, and it didn't make your top blue comments, so maybe I'm too high on this card. I don't know. I think it's good, but I think it's kind of like a bad frost links in some ways because if it's if a two mana two three is already like holding back their two twos and whatever, mm-hmm. like if you're actually getting the trigger off of the ability, you chumped with this, right? Yes. So then if you're really getting it like a frost links, it's kind of like you're paying five mana for the frost links effect because you have to pay two for the adventure and then three for the card. It just yeah. doesn't feel great to me. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, you don't really want to play the first half. I was just trying to think of it like, it sounded like a two-mana Crippling Chill, except you're always drawing this three-mana 2-3. Two, three. But Crippling Chill was an instant, so like you sometimes could get two combat steps from your opponent where they couldn't attack, whereas with this, you can't. Yeah, maybe maybe this isn't as good as I think it is. Well, I think it's got something. I couldn't decide. I, I had that in my top blue commons, and eventually I took it out. That was I was trying to decide between that and Steel Gaze Griffin for number three. And I don't think that has a home either, necessarily. Like, it doesn't have any synergy with any of the color bears. And I don't know if that's a knock for or against it. Because I think you can put it in any blue deck, but I don't think it's really going to make your blue decks tick. I think you can do some cute things with it and run away together. I mean, it's, it's going to be playable certainly in the format i just don't know how it's hard to put a a finger on how good it is yeah it's good on in a blue flyers deck like tap a ground creature and then like block a ground creature and then you take care of it for another turn like that's pretty good sure yeah but yeah maybe i'm too high on it moving on to the blue uncommons my number two is fairy vandal this is one and a blue for the one two with flash flying and whenever you draw your second card each turn put a plus one plus one counter on fairy vandal yeah that card is good i couldn't quite get that in my top 
two, but I like it quite a bit. I have Animating Fairy at number two. This is two and a blue for a two-two flyer. More nods to me overrating adventure cards here. Uh, the adventure portion is bring to life two and a blue. Target non-creature artifact you control becomes a zero-zero artifact creature. Put four plus one plus one counters on it. Oh, you're not overrating, baby. That's my number one. Ooh, baby. Nice. Uh, I probably need to change this now because I have into the story here. That's the draw four seven mana spell that you talked me down from. So I got to think about what my my other card is. Maybe I'll do your same order. Have animating fairy at number one and uh, the one two flash at number two. I'll take it. Moving on to our black commons in the number three slot here. I've got Wicked Guardian. This is three and a black for the four two human noble. And whenever it enters the battlefield, you may have it deal two damage to another creature you control. If you do draw a card. My number three common in black is a land, Ben. I've got Witch's Cottage here. I had to get one of these in. So this is a swamp. It taps add black. It enters the battlefield tapped unless you control three or more other swamps. And when it enters the battlefield untapped, you may put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. It feels hard for me for that to be a top black common. I think it's powerful. I like I agree with you. Those are super powerful. But how highly are you picking them, right? Because you're you're going to want to have what minimum of nine swamps in your deck plus this then, which is getting you 10 black sources. Like, are you able to commit that early to being that heavy black for that minor of an upside? Well, when bacon to a pie is the best black common, I think, yeah, probably. Yeah, because because baked in a pie wants you to be heavy black as well. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Those lands are tough. Like about, I agree they're all powerful and worth including. I'm just not sure you're going to be able to go in on them that early because it's a pretty big disaster if you're like, whatever, taking that pick four and then it can't make the cut because you're not heavy enough black. Yeah, I guess so. I just, I think like being able to draft lands, and I know you know this, so I don't need to like tell you, but being able to draft lands highly, just getting lands as picks in your deck makes your deck more powerful because you get to play more of your draft picks. I think this is a really pretty big bonus I know it's not card advantage, but it's at like a very low cost in terms of it just being tacked on to a basic land. Yeah, I I hear you. I think I'm going to my my plan for those lands is that I'm going to largely avoid them until I'm locked into being heavy into a color. Like, so I I think they're going to go up in my pick order as the draft goes on, if that makes sense. That makes total sense to me. Yeah, I'm just wondering if they're not so good that they're not reasons enough to be like, well, I'm seeing like, I'm going to grab three witches cottages here. And then, and that's the other thing to keep in mind is that like these get, they don't get worse in multiples. They get better because they themselves are swamps. So they count as having the other things come into play untapped. Wait. So does, when you play, if you have two swamps in this, do you get the bonus? No, but I'm saying like, if you have two swamps in a witches, witches cottage, you do get the bonus. That's what I mean. So when you have two, oh, but you'd have to play your second Witch's Cottage. Correct. But so I'm saying like, yeah, yeah. when you end the draft with like four or five of these, that's not bad. That's good. But you also have to have a good creature in your graveyard that you want to put on top of your deck, right? So this isn't going to be really effective until the late, late game. I think that effect is a little more minor than you're giving it credit for. But it's free. Yeah. But some portion of the time you're going to play your Witch's Cottage and you're going to say, no, I don't want to put anything on top of my library. And that meant that it was your land drop for the turn. So what I'm saying is like, it's just, it's just so low impact on your deck for the potential of an effect that you're happy with. I agree. Yeah. I like, look, maybe it's not the top three common. I'm glad that we're talking about these because I think people are going to drastically underrate these lands. Like all of them, except the red one, I'm very excited about. I'm a little lower on them than you, I think it sounds like. Yep. I think that's true. And number two, black common. I think we're probably in agreement here on one and two. I've got Reeve Soul. This is one and a black for the sorcery. 
exile target creature with power three or less. Yep. And number one, bake into a pie. Two black black for an instant. Destroy target creature. Create a food token. Both of those cards are great. I could see. Is there a world where Reeve Soul is going to be better than bake into a pie? I think there is. Based on how small most of the creatures are, I think Reeve Soul is just absurd. Yeah, I think that we need to keep our minds open to that because I think it's easy to say the instant speed, like make a food token one is going to be better. But I could see a world where Reeve Soul gets ahead of it. It also may be a case where like bacon to a pie number one is best and then two Reeve Souls is better than like the second bacon to a pie. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's going to be something to really keep an eye on. Moving on to black uncommons. My number two is Order of Midnight. This is the pseudo gravedigger. So it's got an adventure here. Alter fate one in a black return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And then Order of Midnight is one in a black for a 2-2 flyer and it can't block. Yeah, I love that card quite a bit, uh, shockingly, because it's an adventure. I have that as my number one. My number two is Epic Downfall, one in a black for a sorcery, exile target creature with CMC three or greater. That's my number one. I gave Order of Midnight number two because I think, like a lot of adventure cards, it's a little bit at odds with itself. So Gravedigger's better in a defensive deck, right? And Order of Midnight not being able to block is not, like, like the effects are a little bit disjointed with themselves. Is it powerful? Yes. Yeah, I think Order of Midnight's better. I mean, I see what you're saying, but like the times when you wanted to play Gravedigger on four and couldn't, I think is what makes this card better to me and that I can just go like, I'm happy to play this on turn two, even if I'm not in an aggressive deck, right? Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're both really good cards. You're taking them out of most packs they exist in. Moving on to a red commons in my number three slot, I've got Blood Haze Wolverine. Whoa. This is one and a red for a 2-1 Wolverine, and whenever you draw your second card each turn, Bloodhaze Wolverine gets plus one, plus one, and gains first strike until end of turn. Yeah, I like that card a lot. I'm surprised that made your top three. I had a really hard time deciding on my top three red commons. I think like there's a clear number one, and then I think anything after that is fair game. Yep, I agree. My number three I gave to Searing Barrage. This is the four and a red instant deal five to a creature, and if it's adamant was paid, so if three reds was paid, to cast it, you get to deal three damage to that creature's controller. That didn't make my cut, but it was in consideration. Ultimately, I decided that Red really wanted to curve out with creatures. Yeah. My number two slot is Rimrock Knight. This is one in a red for a 3-1 knight that can't block and has an adventure of Boulder Rush. Single red instant target creature gets plus two plus oh until end of turn. You like this card? I love this card. I think this card's going to be so good in red knight decks. Whoa. So two mana, three, one, two mana, three, one. I think you're happy playing on turn two, much more so than a two mana, two, one. I think the adventure portion of this only being a single red is great. And I think there's that's going to make it a lot more feasible to where you can play a two drop, get in for two damage, and then play this on turn three. I just think the play patterns with this card are going to be exactly what Red wants to do. This is so funny and so indicative of like, I think our play styles of how we're like evaluating Red. You're like, I'm putting two drops in. I'm like, I've got removal and I've got a rummage creature. So my number two is Merchant of the Veil. Two and a red for a two, three human peasant. You can pay two and a red to discard a card and draw a card. And it has an adventure portion, haggle, single red instant. You may discard a card if you do draw a card. Yeah, that card's good. That was in consideration for me as well. And then number one, I'm sure we're in agreement, Scorching Dragonfire. Yes. This is one in a red for the instant, deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. And there are a couple other cards I just want to shout out in red. Weaselback Redcap was in consideration for me. That's single red for the 1-1 one, one Goblin Knight. And you can pay one in a red to give it plus two plus O oh until end of turn. I think that could potentially be pretty strong in red knight aggressive decks. Every red card to me, other than the two, three that you mentioned that was in your top red commons, really wants to beat down. 
And Brimstone Trebuchet was actually in consideration for me as well. I'm, I'm kind of higher on that card now that I've seen how aggressive red is. That's so interesting. I think that card has some tension in the knight decks because like those decks just want maximum numbers of knights, but it itself is not a knight. I agree. That's why I left it off ultimately. And the other one I really liked that was in consideration for me was Red Cap Raiders. Two and a red for a 3-2 Goblin Warrior. Whenever it attacks, you may tap an untapped non-human creature you control. If you do, Red Cap Raiders gets plus one, plus one and gains trample until end of turn. Maybe I have no idea how to evaluate aggressive cards. That card does not seem good to me. Well, so it's going to be a three mana 4-3 trample most of the time if you're an aggressive deck, right? Which is a very good card because ideally you're putting it in a deck where you're going to be curving out with creatures and then the creature that you cast that turn you can tap to turn this into a, four, a three mana four three trample. I think that's pretty pretty solid. Yeah, maybe. You're so aggressively racing and never being able to be like, all right, well, I can hold back like a blocker here to trade or whatever. It just removes that. Well, as you an op- could. Yeah, you could. You just don't attack with red cap raiders that turn. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. But I think you also have the opportunity to really put your gas, your foot on the gas with an aggressive three drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking at the uncommons here, I've got slaying fire at number two, two in red for an instant, deal three to any target, adamant deal four damage instead. That was my number two. And at my number one, I've got Sir Kara the Bold. That was the three red, red, three, three pinger that we talked about earlier. Yep, that is mine as well. Moving on to the green commons. I think we were in agreement here, if I remember right. Number three, Rosethorn Acolyte. That's the three mana, two, three that can tap to add one mana of any color of mana to your mana pool and has the adventure single green to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Yep. Number two, I've got Outmuscle, which is the Hunt the Weak variant. Three and a green for a sorcery. Put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control, and then that creature fights target creature you don't control, and then Adamant gives that creature indestructible. And at number one, Fierce Witch Stalker. This is two green green for the 4-4 wolf with trample. When it ETBs, create a food token. That card is stats. Yeah, that is so much. And it can't be chumped. Trample is so huge on that card. Probably not in agreement here in our uncommons. I've got Beanstalk Giant at number two. That's the rampant growth into the star star dumb seven drop creature. Yeah, that did not make the cut for me. My number two is Trail of Crumbs. That's the food build around. Trail of Crumbs is one and a green for the enchantment. Whenever ETBs create a food token, whenever you sacrifice a food, you may pay one. If you do look at the top two cards of your library, you may reveal a permanent card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Yeah, that was my number one green uncommon. And my number one is Keeper of Fables. I'm surprised this one didn't make the cut for you. This is three green green for the four five cat. And whenever one or more non-human creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, draw a card. Yeah, the card looks really strong to me. I don't know. I just am too in love with the Trail of Crumbs build around and adventure cards. Ooh, we got there. That was, that was a lot. This this format is complicated. And I am really looking forward to drafting it. It looks high synergy to me. Yeah, it feels closer to like a modern horizon style set than a normal limited set. Right. There's a lot of overlap, a lot of layering, a lot of cute interactions between cards at common. And I think really figuring out how to build good mana bases with the adamant cards is going to be a key part of the format. I think there's a lot of depth here. Yeah, I am so excited that a new set is here. I'm very excited to get to dive into this over the coming weeks with you and break this format with our Discord. All right, I think that's a great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. If you want to check us out on Twitch and Twitter, do so this week. Ben and I are both participating in the Watsi sponsored streamer event, the Arena Early Access event on Tuesday, September 24th. So please come check us out at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me and twitch.tv 
tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. And we're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. So with all of that said, we're going to take a look at cards that we had gradation differences on now. Mm-hmm. That's the next portion of our segment. Is this your is this your first time on the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a long day, man. It's been a long <laughs> week. <laughs>